Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. I want to ask you to do something. Would you please go to beyond8figures.com and sign up for our newsletter? The team puts a lot of great effort in summarizing these wonderful interviews we have, plus having additional content that will help entrepreneurs as they practice being more deliberate in their efforts to be better entrepreneurs. Also, I'm changing up today's episode structure a little bit. I have a wonderful interview actually today and I really love how much our guest today shares things. And I thought maybe rather than pre-recording this introduction, I would record this introduction after I have the interview and then be able to share a few things to pay attention to. So first, let me introduce our guest a bit. He has over 20 years of working with Main Street businesses to help them grow. He really focuses sort of on the business of running a business. It's a great phrase. I'm going to come back to that in a bit. But as a serial entrepreneur and the type of approach he has to business growth, I was really fascinated. So today's interview is with the CEO and the managing partner of Cohent Analytics. Cohent's a great company. I've heard some great things from people. And Rob Bryman, the CEO, today's guest, is a wonderful, warm person and you know, very enjoyable to talk to. And he really shamed me in our pre-interview <laughs> with his fluid Spanish use. And here I am living in Spain and my Spanish is still that of a Geary, which is sort of the similar of a gringo to Americans talking to Latin Americans, but maybe without as negative of a context, but whatever. My Spanish is horrible. Rob's is brilliant, a fluid, fluid. Okay. Back to the point today, as you're listening, he shares many things that I think are worthwhile, but there was a few things that kind of stuck in my head after the interview. He talks about in some of his earlier efforts, how he decided to move on because he didn't share values with the people he was working with. Now there are many, many ways we can talk about this, but I think his reference to sharing time with the people who believe what you believe is really, really important because as we build our businesses, many of us struggle with the concept of what is a mission driven. What are the values we're bringing to bear? Or we have these great ideas, but we find it very hard. So as we talk in other episodes, it's this idea of being incremental directional growth towards the type of missions and type of things we want to create. And if you're not working and sharing and partnering with those people who believe the similar things, it's so much harder. So kind of listen to how he talks about why he went to go found Cohen Analytics and just use that as you kind of think about the type of team and people and this effort, not the ability to do it all at once, but to directionally move towards creating that type of mission you think is really important. And you'll hear him talk about it early and late and throughout the interview his fascination, and this resonated a lot with me, of learning for himself and his clients the business of running a business. I am, I don't think is any shock here, I'm fascinated by what it means to be an entrepreneur and what is the pathway to creating a successful life as an entrepreneur. So when Rob breaks down sort of the different aspects of business of running a business and how to go about doing that. I think it's really fascinating. So pay attention as he talks about different concepts, because he really does. The main thrust of this interview is the discussion around Cohen Analytics profit platform. It's fascinating. I'm going to say it right here. If it resonates with you, you should go have a conversation with him because I've only heard good things about Rob and his team. And I think there's a lot of really interesting value there. So if it resonates, go have the conversation. But nonetheless, it's really an old school approach. There's nothing flashy. There's nothing groundbreaking. And I think that's kind of the point. It's sort of like we've talked about how to be more deliberate. It's setting the right priorities and 
incrementally improving the different aspects of your business. So pay attention to how he breaks it down, especially the pillars. I love how he breaks the pillars. I don't know if those would be mine, but the way Rob and his team do work it, it all integrates incredibly well. And there's, I think, a lot of value of listening to his processes and then, as I say, steal and then make your own. But listen to his processes and then think about what that means for your own efforts. What are the different pillars of yours? How do sales, how does operations, all those things, how are those and what incremental opportunities are there in a systematic way? Listen to Rob. He will break it down much better than I'm doing here, but consistently think about what that means for your business. I think you'll get a lot of value out of trying that. So, hey, thank you for letting me uh, try this a little bit different approach. But most importantly, I think you're really going to learn a lot from Rob. So let's get right to the interview. Hello, Rob. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really happy to have you here today. AJ, truly a privilege. Thanks for having me on the show. I was just talking to the audience a little bit about you have a great background. As someone who has lived abroad, you had a much earlier and deeper experience than I ever had. And you know, I'm kind of jealous. But then the stuff you've been working on and where you are now, I mean, it's pretty impressive. I would love to know where you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days. So I had the honor and privilege, AJ, and I don't mean to be overly redundant of having an experience post-military where I built three businesses with a partner. Now, about the time that I was going to build my own and be my own 100% shareholder, I elected to become a business analyst. There was an opportunity with another firm that they liked my background and experience. And I always say that that was the, you know, I was dumb enough to say yes at that point in time in my career. Uh, I have been representing small business owners, entrepreneurs, small to mid-sized business owners for 20 years of my career. And my last experience with my last firm, and I would I would say to anybody who either has a job or has a partnership, you know, your value system has to align with the culture in which you live, right? You know, you have to share time with people that believe what you believe. And needless to say, I did not feel there was good alignment with the previous firm that I was working with, although I built an amazing passion for working with others that are just like myself. That entrepreneurial drive, that entrepreneurial spirit that is the fight every day. You know, people lose sight of the fact that most, most people in America work for the privately held company, not for the Wall Street companies. And the journey that small business owners take, it's inspirational. And I think that's what drives me every day, you know, whether it's coaching analytics. And my, you know, people in the in the states in which we're in, you know, we're working coast to coast. We're in 34 states currently. Or the new company that I just started in C2 Grips, which is a prosthetic for a gaming controller of all things. I'm a serial entrepreneur, AJ, right? My next step to Cogent Analytics will be investing in other business owners as a strategic purpose. So when I look at who entrepreneurs are, I tell my people all the time, an entrepreneur is usually a tradesman or somebody who is inspired by what they do and, and what they want to build, and yet most often don't have the background and experience of managing the business of the business. And that's really what intrigued me the most about, about your show and the, and the messaging that you're getting out to your audience. So um, again, thanks. It's an honor and privilege to chat. We can keep going back and forth because you know, I find it really impressive what Glenick is doing because I had come from a marketing and growth background and I look at things of where the foundation, you know, where they're trying to go, you know, that lovely strategy, where do you want to go? What's the route you're going to take? And then what are the directions to get, you know, along that route, you know, turn left, turn right. But like, I love that you guys are going across the board and then doing it. And then, you know, I want to kind of dive into how you're doing that and what you're looking at, because as someone who's had businesses and tried to work with folks like you, sometimes it's very difficult and it's not even the quality level of who's providing help. It's the understanding and the awareness of the entrepreneur even getting to be in a position to have that help, to restructure, to set the right foundation, set the right processes and kind of move forward. You know, normally I would like to dive deeper into it, but I would love, you know, if you can kind of walk through like how an entrepreneur could best work with you. 
We have a process and I, you know, it's interesting. People always ask me about our profit platform because it's an old school way of looking at a new approach to business. I think, you know, we broke it down into the four legs on the chair and really used a lot of time breaking down the business development pillar. And if you don't mind, AJ, I'll take a little latitude and explain the profit platform. But from the very first engagement you have with our firm, every member of the business development team or our analytics team or our project directors, which is our consulting team, really plays off the same playbook. So there's a lot of consistency into the cogent experience because all of our people try to identify what is happening in that business. I don't think you can represent clients unless you have a deep understanding of where they are in their evolution, right? And we represent from the very, very small $500,000 per annum company on into the half a, you know, half a billion dollar company privately held. And those are, those are rare few in our country. You know, the lion's share of our clients are really that $3 million to $30 million privately held company, but we both go very big and very large on the end of the spectrum, all using the same basic theory, which is every business is built on four basic pillars. You have the business development pillar, which is sales and the exercise or structure around how to generate revenue and marketing. That's why it's business development and marketing. Keep in mind is external. That's about your brand. That's about who you are. That's about your market perception. And marketing is internal. As you bring employees onto your company, they need to understand who you are, what you stand for. Why is there a cultural alignment for me to go to work at Cogent Analytics? There has to be a a shared value structure. The next pillar is really organizational engineering, and that's all things people, right hats on the right heads or right seats in the right chair. But it goes deeper than that. It gets into roles and responsibility. It gets into clear definition of responsibility within that role or assignment that you are tasked with, whether you're in a leadership role or you are a frontline labor participation in that company. It is critically important that people understand you know, what it is that they're expected to do, and more importantly, how they're being measured, because you want the employee to be a party to that. We do operational engineering, which is functionally, how do you produce your product at the most efficient, most profitable way? And then lastly is measurement, which gets into discussions about performance indicators for both employees or process. You notice why I say that there's a pillarized system that supports the chair. No one pillar can be shorter than the other because then you, we all have this picture of that table in the restaurant that just rocks all the time and you end up sticking a pack of matchbooks underneath the leg to make it not shake. Sorry for a bad metaphor, but that measurement pillar is about KPIs or operational measurement and then financial performance to us that we believe that's the ingredients to managing to a, an engineered profit or a predetermined minimum mandatory profitability. And you and I could have a very long discussion about cash flow and how do you support your long-term objectives as an entrepreneur? How do you scale appropriately? How do you have enough liquidity? There's a lot of like, okay, we know we need to do things, but what order what balance that becomes, and then how to make it so it's not just, I've had this experience where sometimes I feel like it's just imposed, like, oh, you need to do X. And I'm like, well, you know, I kind of rubbed a bunch of sticks together and then I dance a lot and somehow there's people giving me money. So why is X, Y, and Z going to fit with, hi, you know, jazz hands, but that's the growth process. You know, moving one of the things, and this is just a quick observation the way you've kind of explained that sort of journey for an entrepreneur to kind of come and start, you know, bringing your structure in was interesting because it from that first, like, oh my God, somehow someone's giving me money, different business models and different structures to this. Okay. And I loved, you know, <laughs> the one thing I wish I had learned much more and I want to explore more is engineered profit because. I know from many entrepreneurs, and once again, I'm just going to keep tossing my own experiences in. You know, I've had experiences with profit growing. In a- there are different evolutions, I think, that businesses go through. And that really is the startup to somewhere around a million or a million and a half. And I, and I always equate it to number of employees. You know, when you hit that 10 employee mark, there is enough 
human dynamics that are going on in that business. And, you know, when you first start your business, you're wearing every hat, you're doing everything. And most of the time you're working 70 hours a week doing all wearing all the hats and doing all the things that it forces you to start hiring people. Well, in that first grouping of people that you have as a, you've at least achieved a level of success. And now you've got to talk a little bit about, again, who's responsible for what, what's the mission? Do they participate in ownership thinking? You know, you're not giving them equity, that's your business, but that ownership thinking that most employees want to have, you know, they want to have a voice. They want to feel that it's important. It's interesting. The four major drivers for human resources end with compensation. It is not the number one driver for human behavior. And the number one driver is recognition, the having the voice in participation. And I see that every single week with very, very young and I have some clients that are more mature, but have never been able to get past that million and a half dollar range. And it's relearning the behaviors of leadership foundationally. Usually we take them through an exercise of what it is that they're really trying to accomplish and then have a deeper understanding of what the opportunities are and what their challenges are. You know, we do a full gap assessment in our discovery process, which is much more intimate than most professional organizations go through. Because I learned many, many years ago, and being a serial entrepreneur myself, a business owner never really wants a better business. They want that better business will provide for them. And that's quality of life. That's a a wealth creation vehicle. That's their business. You know, profit is not a dirty word. You know, a lot of people look at profitability as almost, you know, this sense of, hey, if I'm making a profit, I must be hurting the people I'm selling to or the people I'm buying from or the people that I'm managing. And I've always been an advocate that the best run businesses that I've had the privilege of seeing, and I've seen thousands, are the ones where there's a vested interest from the employees and there's true leadership, there's true measurement, there's operational guidances, that it's it's that first struggle that that fledgling entrepreneur goes through. When you When you communicated to me, you said, you know, Rob, people tell me what I need to do. And yet that is the ultimately the worst way to advise a client, understanding why they want to accomplish what they want, and then giving them that opportunity as an entrepreneur to show the gap between where they want to go and what they're currently performing at. Most entrepreneurs in the 20 years I've been representing clients will make the change from need to want because you know smokers need to quit smoking, drinkers need to quit drinking, we can go down it, but yet they never do it until they want to do it. Now there has to be a whole lot different semblance of motivations that cause that behavioral change. It's funny because in talking with so many entrepreneurs, what I find a lot is it's that movement into purpose, into mission that kind of then pushes, you know, many entrepreneurs into the more of the process structure that you're bringing. Because once again, something that I think gets overly like, you need a mission statement, you need this. And yet reality is it needs to be something that lives and breathes because then it gives you the reason to then be vulnerable because I never liked opening my books you know, and I knew there were so many adventures, adventures, there was, uh, some interesting stuff always, you know, and we were a growing and decently healthy business. Someone actually ended up buying us. So, you know, it wasn't that bad, but in my mind, it was like, it's great unless you look under the hood and then, oh my God, I don't want anyone other than the most trusted said every entrepreneur ever. Just to give you a little bit of freedom. I, I would say that that is a very common experience by the by. We all know we all know where the bodies are buried, right? We're entrepreneurs, you know, and I hate to say it that starkly, but the journey of entrepreneurship is always a challenge, right? I encourage everybody to go through it. I think there's a lot of empowerment that comes from being able to start something with your own blood, sweat, and tears. The mistake that most entrepreneurs make in their evolution, as I spoke about before, is they don't recognize the breakpoints. Like at that moment where the business is really imposing itself upon you as opposed to you having an impact on it is usually the time in which you ask somebody else to look at what you're doing as opposed to you doing the self-evaluation, right? That's like a doctor diagnosing for themselves or an attorney trying to represent themselves as all horrible behavior. (laughs) 
when you get to that moment where you recognize that you keep doing the same thing and getting the exact same result, we all know that's the definition of insanity. So (laughs) having that extra set of eyes to point out some direction, some opportunity, some clear impingements that have been created through the running of the business to where it stands today, you know, that type of openness and behavior that allows yourself to be honest with yourself, that to me is that first best behavior as you're scaling your company. One of the things, and this is just a quick observation, the way you've kind of explained that sort of journey for an entrepreneur to kind of come and start bringing your structure in was interesting because it was filled with a lot of empathy and then, you know, looking at where they really want to go, you know, so it's like the recognition of like, look, we're not telling you where it's like, where do you want to go doing that? But other thing, because this is as I'm a geek and I love doing this, obviously marketing. And then in my own world, a lot of people say they're experienced, but what I always say, you can always tell just by, if a person says a few words about a subject, you can usually tell how experienced. Yes, the fine points, maybe not. But you brought in a lot of detail, you know, a lot of richness to your detail of, ex- of how this happens, where a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, we're experienced. And we can do this. And, da-da. and then it's like, okay, obviously, without you having said it. So I'll say, you've been with shy and withdrawing entrepreneurs who've been like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work that kind of came out from it. I was, you know, I always love it when you can kind of like, Oh, okay. You've dealt with people like me. <laughs> you know, I can see this. Okay. So you're working them and kind of bringing them through. Let's skip a little bit and let's get to engineer profit, how to keep that consistent and consistent, even better, not just consistent, but consistent growth. That was always the business is the owner and the owner is the business. You know, when you, you first start, it's an act of passion, right? It's an act of desire. It's an act of proving, you know, the magic of an entrepreneur is they all have the vision of, of when they start of what they're trying to build. You know, somewhere along the line, sometimes that excitement gets lost because again, the business imposes social, emotional, and psychological, AJ, right? The social dynamics, the emotional dynamics, and the psychological dynamics of the owner and the leadership team are so critical to building the right culture. I'll definitely talk about engineered profit, but I wanted to make that point because you were touching on a piece of wisdom that I think is so critically important for the audience to hear, right? Remember that you know, your people will follow your leadership and your leadership is governed by who you are. And you can choose to change behavior. You can choose to change methodology, but you should always be true to who you are and what you believe. You know, that's the greatest part about being an entrepreneur is occasionally, you know, short of the bank and the government getting to write the rules for you, you still get to write the rules. It's your business. And that I think is a great lead into engineered profit, by the way. Okay. With great constraints come great art. You know, at the end of the day, that's right. The world is what the world is. The most interesting entrepreneurs still make things happen. Let's then see how they can can make engineered profit because God almighty, that's something I want to be doing. So this would be a complete geek out session with a whiteboard or a tablet. I'm going to try to make it its easiest just to plant a seed with your audience as they are either driving their car or they're listening on their podcast. Podcast, you know, the old school methodology of I generate revenue, here's all my expenses. By the way, what did I get to keep? Right? That is the natural behavior of an entrepreneur. Got to generate revenue. So let me sell, sell, sell. And yet they've got to pay the bills. They're not marking their pricing against whether direct costs or indirect costs are. Profit becomes an ancillary behavior. And it's scary sometimes because for us who represent entrepreneurs for a living, many entrepreneurs try to take balance sheet items and insert them on their P&L or take P&L items and insert them on their balance sheet. So sometimes you got to take entrepreneurs through the basics of what lives on your balance sheet and, and yeah. debt. You know, you get depreciation over here on your P&L. But to get to your core point, profit is never a residual thing. It just conceptually, if I were to write it on a whiteboard, revenue less cost equals profit. And I just foundationally think that is the wrong way to look at the business. It should be revenue less profit equals what I get to spend. Now, if you're really going to engineer your profit, you've got to deal with two major areas. You've got to deal with what it is costing you to actually run your business. That will have an impact on how much you need to sell at what gross margin. 
right? So I've got to manage my cost side of the business and I have to manage the revenue side of my business. Because if I'm truly engineering profit, direct cost or all of those costs associated with what it truly takes to produce your product. So labor and material is an easy example that everybody will understand. I sell something for $100. I have $30 of my $100 in labor. I've got $30 of my $100 in material. I've got $40 left over. Now out of that $40, I've got to be able to pay for profit and then pay for all the other expenses I have, right? So I've got to pay for my lights and my rent and my, and my, and my. And the interesting thing about that dialogue is that a lot of entrepreneurs will go out and sell, but they don't manage their pricing effectively enough. There's no strategy to how they're pricing or what they're pricing, nor is there a real understanding of how much of their cost they need to absorb in every unit sold. And it doesn't matter whether you're a contractor, a manufacturer, a trucker, a logistics company, a technology company. We see it every single day. There's virtually no consideration into having to cover both direct and indirect costs and then SG&A, selling in general administrative expense. Sorry, I told you it was going to be a geek out session. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back and say it in a simple way so we don't lose the entire audience as we're chatting. The simple premise is it's never revenue less cost equals what I get to keep. It's revenue less profit equals what I only can spend. Right. So engineered profit is that behavior. And if anybody wants to go through an exercise of engineered profit, I'll be more than happy to come back and do it on a separate discussion. Very difficult to do it in auditory. It is both a visual teaching lesson as well as an auditory teaching lesson. We might be able to pick a different venue for that. No, I mean, I would love to talk about that down the road. And I already know, and Gavin, I know you're one of our audience members. This is right up your alley. I mean, that is, I do like that kind of breakdown. I mean, there's the profit first to bring, you know, that conceptually. Yep. Conceptually. And then they kind of gets, you know, I've had, I find it intellectually interesting. I found it difficult to kind of incorporate kind of the structure somewhat, but that maybe because I haven't gone as deep as maybe I can. I like how you're kind of bringing it because yes, we do things that generate revenue. And that understanding, the better we understand the full inputs allows us to then you know, margin it. And I've seen that. So, okay, maybe not as horrible off as I thought I was at the beginning of this. The profit platform, AJ, was designed to take fairly complex business principles and distill them down into commonalities that every man can understand and every man can execute. And I'm not trying to be misogynistic for all your female audiences, for every Every woman and man, my apologies. But it is meant, you know, the business development pillar is a fairly complex pillar. When you get into strategic pricing, when you get into market penetration, when you get into margin mix management and knowing that different products that you produce are going to generate a different level of profit from what you market to what you price to what you mark down. These are all more complex behaviors that you see in folks that have crossed over into that eight-figure and nine-figure territory because that evolution of the business from startup to each one of those breakpoints, you know, the million and a half, 10 employee, that 3 million, 20 employee, the 5 million, 30 employee, you know, there are correlations to each one of those scale points that you hit. And there's a bunch of dynamics that go into being even to be able to achieve those revenue thresholds, unless you have just the lottery ticket. That is the phenomenal business idea that you sell and everybody buys and you make a, a million dollars and sell it and walk away. That is not the normal entrepreneurial experience. It's a lot of heart and soul that goes into every entrepreneurial journey. There's some story, yeah, you know, the puppy that poops gold, you know. I love it. <laughs> All I need is bus fare to take my puppy to the park so it can poop gold. And the investor's like, no, no, sorry. What's the cack? What's this? It just, no, it poops gold. It just helped me take it over there. Yeah. um, And every once in a while, someone does create that, but most of us don't. And yeah, so it is developing these processes. Actually, I want to tie this into something you said earlier where you said part of your next stage is looking to invest or to be a more active investor. And you have a great insight, one, 
from what you do, you can always look at businesses really quickly. But even in working with businesses, you get to kind of understand exactly what's going on within their businesses to even understand if you should have that conversation. I try to, you know, as in, I try and look at the marketing and, you know, once again, I'm just going to keep leaning, you know, and go, okay, is this right? Is there upside? Is there not? But you're going much deeper into this. Fact. Much. Do you look at your existing customer base as like, okay, this is what I like, what I don't. This is where I would like to deploy capital. So the, the right question is, Rob, do you take an equity position with your current clients? And the answer is no. It is going to be an arm of the cogent analytics suite of service objects. Because you got to remember, you know, AJ, when we first started talking, cogent isn't just operational or profit platform consulting. Mm-hmm. It, we have an internal accountancy. We have a marketing department. We have an integration department for IT services. We have tax advisory group that is external to cogent analytics that does strategic tax planning with our clients. You know, if you think of Wall Street tax advisors and why large companies pay very little in tax, we've distilled that down to the everyday entrepreneur. The message I think most important with the private equity is every single year, we work with a lot of families to either secede their business to a third party. I'm aging out a little bit. I want to set my business up. I want to make sure I'm maximizing my opportunity Because the single largest asset that a small business owner typically owns is their business. Yet they don't treat it like the single most valuable thing in their portfolio, which I always find to be interesting. But that's universally true for 20 years. It's like one out of 100 understand that the value of equity, that wealth creation vehicle that we're creating in our entrepreneurial endeavors is about at some point in time exiting the business. And I've told clients forever. The day you start your business is the day you should start planning for its exit. Now, we do a lot of internal secession, fathers to sons, fathers to daughters, moms to sons and daughters, two brothers, one's 10 years older and he's getting out of the business first. We do a massive amount of secession planning on behalf of our clients. Those are internal secessions. Like, you know, I could have an ESOP or I can have an MBO where I'm selling to my employees or my management. The external sales we also engage with, right? We support them in attorney's work. We support them in planning work. We support them in budgeting and structuring and organizational and increasing value. And the reason why the private equity makes so much sense is every year we run into those companies that there is no secession. There's no plan for secession. And a client actually comes to me and says, Rob, would you buy my business? Up until this time, I have said no, but I keep getting... I mean, if I were to take the best five out of the 20 I see every year right now, I have the staff and the care and and the leadership group and the people that genuinely are invested in the entrepreneurial spirit. What better opportunity to afford one of my team members the opportunity to then participate in their own journey, right? On behalf of Cogent Analytics, myself and the rest of the leadership team, what an opportunity for somebody to take an existing business where there is no pathway for that owner to exit and be able to support them in a different way. You got to remember my mission. And I don't think you and I had this conversation before, AJ. I, I have a common statement. It's raise others up and you will rise, right? It drives Every single thing I do every day, you know, honor, courage, wisdom, faith, perseverance, and loyalty is, is part of my ethos. And, and really why I love representing entrepreneurs is it sates all of those individual and personal desires. Like that's my why. My why is about the entrepreneurial community and really helping business owners, you know, struggling or successful. I've never seen a business and I've done personally done 1,500 discoveries of my own accord. Cogent Analytics has done thousands. My why is the difference you can make in that family, in that story, in that entrepreneurial's life. You know, usually it's three to five degrees. You know, you, we don't have to take entrepreneurs 180 degrees. It's moving them based on their want and why to some better version of themselves, right? That's that ROI that most entrepreneurs are fighting for every day that so few achieve, right? I've met thousands of business owners that work their hearts out and most often make some sacrifices in, um, in their family in this journey 
he called that small business. And I always try to catch them before they get too far over the waterfall because, you know, it, they didn't lose their why. Sometimes they just lost their path. Definitely. I think the value and as someone who is, you know, I'm kind of looking at acquisition entrepreneurship as a means of, you know, rebuilding different types of businesses. Don Love to have that conversation with you. Don Boltons. And I'm fascinated just with the noise and it's getting a little less. There seemed to be over the past year up until the past few months where there was a lot of noise where it was like micro PE. There was the micro acquisition groups. Angel investor more than a true private equity. Yeah. <laughs> there was this, that traditional search fund versus self-funded. And if you crossed vocabulary with anyone, they would, no, 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 that's not. I'm like, you're buying a business. You're buying a revenue stream. What am I missing here? <laughs> Why do we need unique things? It's slowly changing because I think everyone is kind of recognizing this. But what I've seen in kind of this research is just what you're talking to is this value creation. The longer a business is in existence, you know, the more likely it is to continue in that and the ability properly manage, i.e. huge caveat. That That's a big one. Human. Yeah. Oh, human. Oh, you mean <laughs> the human part. Okay. Uh, you mean that caveat. <laughs> Everything else is perfect. But the human part. But, you know, it is this return on capital. Just we'll use that. I a lot of times think of that and when I look at these as like value creation. I know it's a little bit more in that, but it's still, it is something that is in business is more likely. Now, yes, you don't want to mess up and do that. You know, I am fascinated by that. So where you're and the logic you're bringing to it for your firms, I find I really do like it. it makes perfect sense. I actually think we're going to see more of that. I know there's people like the Jeremy Harbour, the very, he's now Dubai and everywhere else in the world. But you, it seems to be more of a British thing of that, like coming in and taking the positions based on how you help. But yeah, I prefer the American way of just sort of buying and kind of helping grow. But I do find it fascinating that you're looking to it and then the ability to bring your own team into the entrepreneurial journey as a way of helping extend good operators are any community you part you know, you look at these days that talks about this it's like oh do you have an operator yeah. anywhere know where i can find an operator it's like okay guys got to stop being yeah you got to build your bench yeah so you can have you have especially in our line of work I have been averse to taking on equity positions in companies until I have a, and you said it, deep enough bench. Because our first mission is to have the client be a better version of themselves more than it is finding that opportunity. And, and, and you're speaking about a model that happens here in the United States as well, by the way, where people see that opportunity and I'll take a 30% position and, you know, I'll help you grow your business from a million dollars up to five million dollars and then and then you're going to buy my 30 percent of equity out or we're going to sell it off to somebody else that, that's a very common model you know the, the i've always had a little bit of you know ethics rub with that because a lot of the people i've seen in that game it's more about them and their pockets than it is about the person they're trying to represent you know it's the same theory i've taken towards co cogent analytics right i don't take on a client ever we do a discovery for every single small business owner or privately held business owner on the face of the planet that wants us to do a discovery. And I think that unto itself is a deliverable. And if we go in at a very low entry point and show them, we do a gap analysis, we do a SWOT, we do a financial review, we do any one of a number of things, culture review, to make sure that we have a deep understanding of who our clients are. That deliverable unto itself is meant to empower that business owner to be a better version of themselves. On the rare occasion, and it's not incredibly rare, about 60% of the time, clients will then ask us for help. And there are two foundational rationales behind where I think consulting can be valuable, right? The first one is usually easy. If we represent you and we fix what's going on in your business, will you see an ROI, return on investment? That to me is threshold number one. I should never think a client would spend a dollar if they didn't see $2 back, right? $3 back, $4 back, $10 back. Yeah. The next most important threshold that we hold our clients accountable to is that the business owner themselves have to be the first person most responsible for their current circumstance. There's no consultant. And I've 
again, AJ, I've been doing this a lot of years. I've always seen the people that'll tell clients what they can fix and we can do all this magic. It's like it ends up being a book on the back shelf that nobody ever opens anymore. And and 90% of it gets thrown out the window the minute the consultant leaves. For us, we have to have a partnership with our client that we believe to be durable and longstanding. You know, we have a life cycle process that truly is a life cycle process. Once you're a client of Cogent Analytics, you're forever a client. So rule number one has to be an ROI. Rule number two, way more important than rule number one, is I have to have a client that truly is a partner. And if they're not willing to accept responsibility for where they're at, there is no magic wand that I can wave that will make them change the behaviors that they should want to change for themselves, right? If their return is not what it should be, we can give them the most magical toolbox under the sun. If they don't use the tools, what's it worth? right? When a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? If nobody's around, I hate to give you an old adage, but I'm trying to disrupt the consulting industry a little bit in that it has to matter. I try not to bring too much of my experience, you know, of what I do, but what I look very much is like, look, we look for places that we know are messy, but we also look for places that we can leave better because the organization will change. I always call it the Tom Sawyer impact. Can we get you to want to paint the fence? I love that. I'm a geek too. You said you geeked out before. I'm, I'm like, I'm a geek. That's, that's okay. <laughs> the geek will inherit there. It's just, it was just a consonant off. Um, but, you know, in looking at this, it is really that idea that, all right, I think a lot of large consulting, and yeah, I don't want to paint too broad a bunch, but I know from having dealt a little bit with some of the, at least from the advertising side, the holding companies, it is the greater and greater type of building you can create. It's all about the build out and not about the client. You got it. There's a lot of talk about value creation, but the pressure coming down and down and down, it's like, yeah, I hate to tell you, like if you have 30 layers of how, yeah, how much profitability can you be? The person doing the actual work is not going to be living the esoteric promise. They're going to be there. So, I like the experimentation of that. Like, how can you create something where it's not all about bill another hour, bill two hours? For it it, it can't be. How do you make that partnership grow? Because we're dealing in a tape where talent's flowing left, right, and center. One, two, good talent doesn't want to have to do things they don't want to. And that's saying, and globalized talent is catching up. Used to joke, you could go to Eastern you know, Europe. But looking at it, there's so much talent that is rising and they want more. So now creating environments like you were talking back. I love that because it is changing that type of behavior of what you do to help someone else grow a business and then finding ways to bring in your employees, your contract, you know, however that relationship is and then move deeper value. You become more strategic. Mission, vision, values, right? Every entrepreneur I talk to has a mission, right? And usually they start with a vision of what they want to be. The value system of who they are is always who the business becomes, right? Good and bad, by the way. I see both. That's also why rule one and rule two exist, because the best partners, maybe, as I said before, they lost a little of the how to get there, but they definitely didn't lose their mission or vision. And they still have the want, right? Being able to describe to business owners, or more importantly, have them describing to us what their why is, I think changes the nature of the conversation. For me as an entrepreneur, and I've been an entrepreneur for a really long time, but Cogent is my fourth business, Scripps is my fifth business. The journey of entrepreneurship, it inspires me every day. You know, getting up in the morning and seeing what the impact I've had on, you know, the American small business owner. When I think about it, not just being the business owner and the business owner's spouse and their children, but it's also all of those employees and their spouses and their children. You know, it's a communal impact that, you know, that's what I tell my people. If you're in this for the money, if you're in this just to get one more build hour out of the client, please leave because it's not going to foster a durable relationship. And you're sullying the one reason why you get into this industry to begin with. And that's to help the darn client achieve his better business of themselves. Sorry for me being preachy, but you know, it, it absolutely is foundational to who we are and definitely what I believe. Given that you have this focus, given your success and given where you're looking to expand from this, how do you go about defining 
not your business success, but your personal success. What is success for you? Um, everybody asks me this question, you know, and, and it's funny, AJ, people are like, oh, Rob, how big, how fast? Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, I don't care about big or yeah. fast for me, my version of success or when my people are, you know, I just had an employee share with me a really big life event. You know, we have, when I see another employee able to take that next step or buy a house, when I see a client who calls me on the phone on Christmas and they didn't think they were, were still going to be in business in May. And they call me personally, not the people that advise them, not their analysts, but they call me personally. I know why I go to work every day. I know why I put in the time. And, you know, people can define success. And I I, I always try not to do that. I try not to monetize other people's success because success can be defined in many ways, depending on the entrepreneur that you're talking to. I know for me, what drives me every day, the version of success will have some semblance of a successful cogent analytics that can generationally pass through to that next leadership team. My greatest legacy that I will leave is the impact of cogent analytics on the communities and the clients and the people that we represent. I hate to sound Pollyannic, but I know I've accomplished something in the world when that impact to people is made so profound. And by the way, I have a pretty successful business. <laughs> yes. oh, yes. You see how I did that, right? It's a, you know, and by the but, way. But, you know, to be able to achieve that first piece, you do need to have the second. Without the, you know, without the fuel, without the, the money we make is very good. And it's, you know, I always love to me, the biggest impact was when I went from my first two companies just were kind of crazy and sold for low seven figures. And then kind of one, I got equity in a company that promptly went bankrupt. Boo. Hey, paper, nothing. Another, I took my share. You just add that to the story pool. Second one, I took my share and went to South of France and um, spent a good amount of time with an Italian model. So, you know, that was the second. (laughs) That was my early 30s. But um, I do think that, you know, that first piece where we create things and then that we come to that piece where also it's like, wait, yes, the first is I'm making enough to survive ramen. But the second is like, oh, I'm making what I was making. And then all of a sudden, that first time where you're like, oh, I'm making more than I would have been if I was back in XYZ, wherever you came out of. Those are really cool. And then afterwards, it's just, it's cool, but it's not as important is kind of the way I felt. Like, oh, the value system changes. Well, because you, because you crossed over, AJ, right? You turned the fight into success, right? You achieved that first threshold that most people are chasing early in their life, but everybody figures out the same thing. And you just said it out loud. Once I got there, I realized that all of that journey now, and I'm and I'm at a stage in life where that journey is about something else. My argument to them is, wasn't it still about that when you were on the fight? It just, you just yeah. hadn't got there yet. And the answer is almost universally yes. <laughs> but, you know, to really build up this fight, you need that fuel. And that's then the fun is because, yes, it's always nice to have more money. But yeah, I've known people who have had a lot of money without having the reason. Were they happy? Yeah, Did they have purpose? happy doing some things, but they're not happy or they're not, you know, they're not purposeful. So I think that deliberate movement of using that fuel, that opportunity we get from doing these things. I'm really, one, we're going to have to have a more geekier dive into engineer profit and the other pillars. We're going to have to talk a little bit more about acquisition entrepreneurship. But also, I want to see as you go deeper into your investments and your positions there. I'm very curious to see how that occurs and how you bring in the resources you have to bear. I'm more than happy to share the journey with you. I, I truly, I like forums like these. I like speaking. Do you mind if I give the audience one piece of advice before we wrap up our show today? If you're going into business, right? The behavior that I encourage the most is a lot of times small business owners will start with a great idea, but in the process of monetizing that idea, they don't do the requisite planning. And I mean, real planning. I mean, getting into some of the finite 
details of figuring out why your business is going to fail before you even start it. You know, and that's planning for capital and planning for debt and planning for growth and planning for, you know, profit margin or engineered profit. These are behaviors that if I could encourage even all of your seven figure listeners who are trying to get beyond eight figures and have that, as you describe, most amazing success. You know, there are a lot of behaviors that are best in class, none of which I invented. I happen to be a master of them, but but I didn't invent them, right? I always tell people I didn't go out in the garage and nail, you know, hammer away at a, at a, at a piece of stone and walk inside one day and say, look, mom, the wheel. There is an art and a science to business. And, you know, the best journey an entrepreneur can take is be passionate, love what they do, follow your dreams, follow the idea. Don't lose sight of the fact that the science of business is there for a purpose. You know, Cogent Analytics exists to assist businesses, answer some of those day over day questions that are the challenges of business. You know, our discovery process is profound, AJ. It's a great experience. I don't care if you're a million dollar business or a $10 million business or a $50 million business. I've never met the business, not once in 20 years. I have never met the business that can't be made better when you have participation from ownership and leadership. That to me is the magic. Where should people go? Yeah, you know, to one, learn more about your processes, what you're doing. Where should they go? Two major ways. Come to our website. We have a massive amount of white papers, case studies, client videos, podcasts, testimonials, webinars. There is a vast amount of information that we do. We're, we're really moving towards thought leadership more than just come do business with Cogent Analytics. We publish a massive amount of information that is beneficial to the small business community. So CogentAnalytics.com, C-O-G-E-N-T, analytics with the S.com. And the other way, if you want to call direct, it's 833, the number four, and two words, my profit, 833 for my profit. Brilliant. So those are the two best ways to give us a shout out. Call me personally, leave me a message, go to the website. We have an entire team of people that are very, very passionate about the entrepreneurial journey. And we'll have that all in the show notes and put it up in this, in our social. So this has been a lot. I am like already like looking at my journal over there, like, okay, how late? Uh, it's my evening here in Spain. How late am I going to stay up writing on this? So thank you. Thank you for such interesting and deep thoughts. I really appreciate this. I have as well, AJ. I appreciate being a phenomenal host, and I love the fact that you guided this conversation so seamlessly. Thank you for the honor. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.